So we're going to do a, a study on um, possessing the land. And I just thought I wanted, because some of you are new to the, new to the faith, and, and so when we talk about the Old Testament, it, it really is foreign to you. It's like, you know, possessing the land, why are they going to the land, how come they're heading towards the promised land, you know, what gives them the right to take over somebody else's land and all this sort of stuff. So what I want to do is I want to just take some time and tell you the story so that you get the big picture, so you know why we're going into the promised land. You know why the Jews, are, or why Abraham's descendants are going into the promised land. So I, I want to just give you a little bit of a background and, and talk to you about the great, 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 great grandfather of the children of Israel. And his name is Terah. I'm going to get a stick and I'm going to point to him as I'm talking to you about it so um, that you can see who I'm talking about. Okay. So this guy here, his name is Terah. Now, he, he is a pagan. He, he doesn't believe in God. He, he worships other gods. He's not a Christian. And he's living in a place called Ur of Chaldees. Now that's somewhere up in near you guys, isn't it? Iran and Ur was ancient somewhere in that area. So, so that's where he's living. And, and he's got four kids. He's got Abraham. He's got Sarai, which is his stepdaughter. You know, um, that, that stepbrother and stepsister. He's got Nahor, which is his son. And he's got Haran. Now Haran... He, he dies before he gets out of Ur of Chaldees. So his son Lot, he goes with Abraham and Sarah. They're married, these two. And, and Terah says, look, I want to go and leave the Ur of Chaldees because I want to go to Canaan and get some new land. It's like he's already felt the impress of God, even though he doesn't know God, he's felt the impress of God to move out of where he is to go to a new place. So they're leaving now and they're heading towards... Canaan so God breaks into Abraham's life and and, um, as he breaks into Abraham's life he tells Abraham to go into the promised land now he says to Abraham he's going to have lots of children but at 75 he's 75 years old and he doesn't have any children Um, I think Sarah is probably around about 10 years younger and she she's not had any children either and so they wait for 25 years before they have their son Isaac. 20. So Abraham is now 100 years old and Sarah is 90 years old and both of their bodies have gone into menopause so they're not bearing children. So this is like a real miracle at a very old age. Now remember Abraham lived to 175. So at 100 years he's sort of like halfway through his life. Okay? I know... I don't want to live to 175. Uh, I'll be happy just to live to 75. Uh, I'm living forever too, yeah, but somewhere else. (laughs) So Abraham, um, they have this child called Isaac. He's the promise. They also have a guy called Ishmael. That's the son of their handmaid, and we'll go and talk about that. Um, Isaac then has twins, Esau and Jacob. Esau comes out first, and as he's coming out, Jacob puts his hand out of the womb and grabs his heel and comes out after his brother. And he gets the name name called Jacob. Later on, he changes his name to Israel. He has 12 sons, and the 12 sons are the fathers of the tribes that are going to the promised land. The whole of this 
the whole of this family, this pink part, is heading towards Cana and it's taken them four generations to get from the Ur of Chaldees via Egypt, now heading back to the promised land, which was promised to them by God. So that started a long time before the children of Israel got to the the Canaan land. It it started way, way before that. It started back with their great, great, great grandfather. He started to head out and then God spoke to to Abraham and talk to him. Now I want to talk about this a little bit so that you can understand what's going on. Every, every child that that um, that Abraham had, there was a blessing on their lives because God told him he was going to be a father of many nations. This this woman here, when Sarah died, he married again after the age of a hundred, and and this is Keturah, and and he had six sons to this woman. That was after Sarah died. And those six sons became six nations. Abraham had this son by, by Hagar. She was the hand, like the servant girl. And because Sarah couldn't bear children, she says, well, take my servant girl and we'll have children via a surrogate mother, my servant girl. And so hey, Abraham says, of course. He has a child with Hagar and this is Ishmael. Ishmael now has 12 sons. He becomes 12 nations. This is where the Islamic say they come from. They come from the line of Ishmael, they say. Isaac is the promise over Ishmael because Ishmael comes from Hagar. Sarah was promised a child. And so Isaac is the, the chosen one of God. The blessing rests with Isaac. And Isaac has Jacob. Jacob gets the birthright over Esau, who was the firstborn, and then he has 12 children, and the 12 children become the 12 tribes of Israel. And that's it. I can give you that little chart if you want to, if you just want to know what's going. But that's where the history is behind us going in to possess the land. It's not just like, you know, it just happened, that they were in Egypt and then they decided to come out of Egypt. No, this is, this is the journey that a whole family had been on for many, many years. And so this is what it says in Genesis. You'll read it, it's all in the book of Genesis. So in Genesis chapter 11, verse 31, it says, And Terah took Abram, and notice that his name is Abram back there. Not Abraham, but it's Abram. So he took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, the, the son's son, and Sarai. Now Sarai's name is Sarai, not Sarah. It, they changed the names, and I'll talk about that later. Uh, uh, um, Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his sons, Abraham's wife, Abraham's wife, and they went forth with them from the Ur of Chaldees to go to, into a land, into the land of Canaan. And they came out of unto Haran and dwelt there. So they came out of the Ur of Chaldees and went to Haran. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 2, we're told that, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus said the Lord God of Israel, your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood. That's the other side of the Red Sea, the other side of the, um, the flooded Jordan. They dwelt back in history. And he says, um, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. So he's reminding them that their great, great ancestors were pagans. They were not God lovers. So that's an amazing thing. If you think about it, here we have the flood, they've gone through the... Noah's Ark, you have the children and they've gone out and they've bred all around the world and everybody has, seems to have forgotten God and it's almost like God is not in the scene anymore. 
Yet God breaks into human history through one man, Abraham. He reveals himself to Abraham. He, he says, you can't forget me. He says, I won't be forgotten. I'm going to break in and I'm going to reveal myself. So obviously in Abraham's pagan state, when he's looking at all the worship of idols and some, he's sitting and thinking, this is not right. In himself, he's saying, there's something not right about this paganism. And so his heart calls out to the living God and God reveals himself to him. Whatever situation it is, God reveals it. If you don't know God, just call out to God and God will reveal himself to you. You say, I don't know whether I want to believe, I don't know if I can believe this or not, but you just call out, God, show yourself to me, and God will reveal himself to you. So Abraham was like that. He was calling out to God. He was waiting on God. He, he didn't know who God was. He had no idea. His father worshipped idols. They worshipped pagan. He's calling out to God, God, reveal yourself to me. And God revealed himself to him. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 5, And then the Lord said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. So God breaks into his life and says, You, son, you've got to get out and you've got to go too. You've got to get out of one place and you've got to go to another place. I like that. Because you can't get into the promised land until you get out of the old land and get into the new land. You've got to get out from something and get into something. You've got to cut off something and start something new. It won't just come to you. It just won't happen. You have to get out to get into. I want you to remember that. And he says to him, I will bless you. We all want to be blessed. We all want to be a blessing. We don't want to be a curse. We don't want people to think about our lives and think about that cursed wretch of a man. We want to be a blessing. We want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. He says, Abraham said, Abraham said, God, reveal yourself. God says, here I am. You get out of there. Leave everybody behind. Leave your family. Leave your father's house. Get out from all that paganism and come and I'll give you a new land and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great and you can be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And in, your, and you, and you, and in, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed, he said. So he was going to make him a great blessing to everybody. And so the Bible says, and so Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. You notice that? He was obedient. When, he, when God said, get out and go to, Abraham said, Yes, sir, I'm getting out and I'm going to. He didn't sit there and say, oh, well, it's not just convenient for me to get out and go to at the moment. I've got a lot of things I like to do. My veggies are still growing in my backyard. I'd like to still get those veggies. I'll wait here to the seasons over the veggies that I'm enjoying. No, no, he didn't say that. He said, get out and go to. And he said, yes, I'm going. Now, he just left the veggies in the garden and walked out to go to. Yes, he decided. Himself. To follow. To follow. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now, Lot is this grandchild, uh, the um, nephew. He went with him. And Abraham, he was the one, the Lot was the one that went to Sodom and Gomorrah, remember? And God, he had to go and save him from Sodom and Gomorrah. So he's looking after his nephew. He's looking after his family. He's taking his family. Your choice to get out and follow the God. God is going to have an effect on people around you. You can take people with you. 
your choice to stay behind and to look at the vegetables and stay with the vegetables will affect the people around you. Your life, your decisions make a difference to the whole. And then Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions, and they gathered them, and, they, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the Canaan land. God brought them out of Egypt. They went to Canaan land, and they were there for a while, and it, and it got pretty, there was a huge famine. They'd had their sons, they had their 12, the 12 boys were now born to to um, to Isaac, no, sorry, to Israel. That Jacob, but Israel, he's changed, he's changed his name to Israel. They changed. That they're all there. There's a the little tribe of them, and the famine comes, and so they go to Egypt to get some food. They've already sold their brother Joseph into slavery there. So Joseph has now become the king, or second to the king in Egypt, second to the pharaoh in Egypt. So he's able to look after them, and there they are in Egypt. They have found themselves in Egypt as a small nation, finding themselves in Egypt as a family now turned to slavery. Because the Pharaoh says, they've grown so many, there's so many of them, put them into slavery. So here we have this little family that's travelled into Canaan now, has grown many in numbers, gone and live in Egypt, and have become maybe a, you know, maybe a million odd people. Now in slavery because the, the Egyptians are scared of them. All come from this family. And God says to Moses, bring them out. Get my people and bring them out. Remember, God spoke to them, go to the promised land. They started this journey generations before, and now they're coming out. They come out, they go across the Red Sea. God brings them out with the assistance of Moses. You see, but God can take you out of Egypt, but he's got to take the Egypt out of you. That's the problem. The problem is always, you can come out of the world, but if you've still got the world in you, you've still got junk on the inside. You've got to get out and go to, and you've got to get out with your heart and go to with your heart. You've got to change your heart. You can't have a, an Egypt heart inside a new body. You've got to get out here and get into that, and you've got to do it from your heart. So God, all this journey that they're going through the promised land, it's all about God changing the heart of these people. God changing their minds. And so they came to the promised land and God brought them into the promised land with the help and the assistance of Joshua. The struggle was not getting them out of the old world, but getting the old world out of them. So let's just have a look and see what God was doing to get the old world out of them. So we have Abraham and Sarai. Look, they come out and they have now for 25 years believed for a son. Nothing has happened. Abraham's still believing, but it's looking mighty impossible. He's 100 years old. You can understand his thing. And then God says to him, you're going to have a son. And he says to Sarai, you're going to have a son. And they laugh. He says, now circumcise yourself. Get yourself ready. Abraham laughs. He can't believe it. Well, he can believe it, but it's just like outside. Is this dead man? Even my body is dead and my wife's womb is dead. Are we going to have a son? Okay, we're going to have a son. I believe you, God, we're going to have a son. And then God said something. Get this into your head. 
Stop calling yourself Abraham, now call yourself Abraham. He was changing his mind about himself. He said, change your view of yourself. Stop calling yourself a prince, call yourself a prince of nations. So he's now changing his heart, he's changing his mind. The way he's talking about himself is changing. He's not saying, I'm a prince, I'm walking around as a prince. He says, no, I'm not a prince, I'm a prince of nations. He embraces the promise of God and lets it change the core of him. And then he looks at Sarai and he says, you're not just the princess, you're the princess of nations. And he calls her Sarah and he changes her view of herself and she changes. And the next year she has a son. A son is born to them. It's like, my son Isaac, the big smile. That's what his name means. Isaac, the big smile. So Isaac has two sons. God's still interested in the heart of an individual and changing the core of an individual. Still interested. So Esau is born first, but Esau doesn't love God. He's an outsider, he's a hunter. He goes with his bow and an arrow and he catches things. Jacob, he's mummy's boy. He sits with mum and he cooks with mum. He's like in chefing, you know, cooking. He's at home. Esau is big, red, and hairy. He's out there in the field and he's a tough bloke. Uh, Jacob is at home doing the dishes with mum. Jacob's name means supplanter, the one who grabs the heel. Remember when he was born, he stretched out his hand and he grabbed his brother's heel? Well, they said, you know what's going to happen? The birthright is going to be stolen from Esau and given to Jacob. He's going to steal it from his brother. Well, you know the story. Esau comes in from the... He's been hunting and he's got something he's killed. He throws it down there and says, Look, feed me. I'm famished. I'm starving. Feed me something. Jacob is thinking, I so want the birthright blessing. I won't feed you until you sell me your birthright. I want the blessing. So he saw, he doesn't mind the birthright. Who cares about the birthright? The birthright's nothing, he says. You know, okay, you can have my birthright. Just give me a bowl of stew. So he sells his blessing for a bowl of stew. So when it comes time for Isaac to, 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 um, to give the blessing to his son, he's failed now, he can't see. Isaac's sitting there in his chair, he can't see. He can smell his sons, but he can't see his sons because he's gone blind. So Esau's out one day doing some shooting. And he's going into his father, Jacob. He's put the hair of a sheep on his arms, wrapped him up on his arms so he's hairy. And he's got the smell of Esau on him because he's got the smell of a goat on him. And he walks into his daddy and says, Daddy... Give me the blessing. And Isaac goes like this. The arm is hairy. Smells like Esau. Esau is the one who's due the blessing. But the voice is the voice of Jacob. But, you know, I must have it wrong. I can feel he's hairy. I can smell it's Esau. And so he gives him the blessing. And Jacob goes... Got it. 
I got the blessing because when Isaac blessed, it was gone. Esau come back. He says, you took my blessing. Jacob, Isaac had already given. He couldn't give it back. Couldn't take it back. He had stolen the blessing. Well, that's a major problem, isn't it? Don't you think? It's a major problem in this regard that he's done it by deceit. He's done it with deception. Yeah, there's something in Jacob that's just not quite right. Look, those boys separated and they weren't friends when they separated. Esau went one place and Jacob went another place. And they built up their little nations. They built up their little tribes. In the course of time, Jacob is coming back because God told him to go back to his father's family. He's coming back with all his family and all his goods. And they're coming out. And then all of a sudden, he hears that Esau is coming toward him with 400 men. Well, Jacob starts to freak out. He said, I'm really frightened now because Esau is coming to kill me so he can take all of my blessing. You'd be freaking out. If the very last thing that you did was you, re- you cheated on your brother, you took his blessing away from him and he was very angry and then you took off and God made you into a little nation and God made your brother into a little And now your brother's coming with 400 men. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? So you know, Jacob's thinking, I've got to do something about this. He says, I'll divide them up. He says, I'll, I'll send out a, a, a posse first, a, a little group of people first. And if he slaughters them, we can all get away, you know. You know, I'll send some gifts and stuff, you know. He's trying to work it out, trying to fix it up. Well, God is in the process of fixing it up. In the end of the exercise, just before they got together, Jacob's calling out to God, help me, God. And he goes to sleep. Well, actually, he doesn't go to sleep. Everybody goes to sleep. He stays up, and there's a man who appears before Jacob. He begins to wrestle him. He wrestles him and he wrestles him while they're struggling and wrestling. All night they're fighting together. Jacob is fighting this angel of the Lord, fighting together all night. And the angel says to him, and we find out later, it must have been Jesus. It must have been Jesus who was wrestling him because it says he wrestled with God. He saw God with his face. So it must have been Jesus because Jesus is God in the flesh. So here's Jesus standing. He must have been wrestling with Jesus. And so he's wrestling with him, and Jesus says to him, let me go. And Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Now listen, he had received the blessing from his father. Now he's asking for the blessing from God. He's received the blessing from his father, but he knows he he took it out the wrong way. And he's saying, God, I want you to bless me now. I want you to bless me, otherwise I'm dead meat. You bless me, God. You bless me. And so he wrestled with Jesus all night. And Jesus says, okay, I'll bless you. But then he touched his hip. And the sinew in his hip withered. And from that time on, Jacob walked with a limp. He said, I'm going to bless you, but this is what I'm going to call you. I'm going to change your name from Jacob Supplanter. You will be called Israel, Prince of God. And Israel means God prevails. Now, wait a minute. I thought you said that he wrestled against God and he prevailed against God. He probably did fight with God and he fought with Jesus and he wouldn't let him go until God. But you never win against God. God always prevails 
And the change that took place was an internal change in Jacob's life. So he changed from being the supplanter to being the prince of God. Listen, have you wrestled with God lately about that thing that's hidden in your life? That old way in your life? Have you sat down and said, I want so much to change. I'm sick of my life the way it is. I'm so sad by the way I do things. It's always the same. I always get caught. There's trouble coming to me. I know there's trouble coming out. God, God bless me. Change me. Change me. And then you wrestle with him. Wrestle with him until he touches you and he marks you and says, now you're changed. And you just walk like that because you'd have no confidence left in yourself. God prevails. God changes him. He's changed on the inside. So when he comes now to his brother, his brother accepts him. There's no problem there. And he becomes the father of this nation. You know, the problem is, The defeat is always resting at the door when the heart is not changed. Everybody say that. Defeat is resting at the door. Say it. Defeat is resting at the door when my heart is not changed. Defeat is resting at the door when my heart is not changed. Now you think about this. Now you go back, right back to the very beginning with Cain and Abel. Remember, Cain and Abel offer up their sacrifices to God. And, and, and Abel's sacrifice is acceptable to God and Cain's is not. And Cain is very angry at his brother because he's got the favour of God. And God says to Cain, if you change, won't I bless you? If you change your heart, won't I bless you? Won't you find favour if you change your heart? And Cain went out and said, I don't care about changing my heart. All I want to do is kill him. And he went out and killed his brother. Before he did that, God said to him, be careful. Sin is resting at the door. It desires to have you. You must master it. Defeat is always near when your heart is not changed. Defeat is right there. Ready to have you if your heart is not changed. See, God has a people and he's changing people's hearts because it's the changed heart that brings victory. It's the changed heart that brings you into the promised land. It's the changed heart. God took the people of Israel right through the desert and to change the heart. He gave the law of Moses to deal with the heart issues. The heart issues were there. The law couldn't save them. They couldn't do the law and it wouldn't save them. But the the law shone into their hearts and showed them where it was sinful. And they could come to God and say, oh God, I'm sinful. You've shown me I'm sinful. They could deal with their heart when they got to see the law. It didn't change them. They got to the promised land and they still didn't believe. And so God had to take them out until all that at once died, until those who had a changed heart come to the doors of the promised land to enter in. And we heard last week that God said, circumcise yourself. Clean yourself up. Cut off the old life. Change your heart because we're going to do a new thing. Change your heart. We're told in in Joshua chapter 3 that that Joshua said, sanctify yourself. Set yourself apart. He's, He's talking to them now. Change your heart. Change your heart. We're going to see God do a mighty thing. Change your heart. Change your heart. Be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Change your view on things. And they did. And they went across the Jordan, flooded Jordan River. And they marched around the walls of Jericho. And they marched around seven times. And on the last day, they marched around another seven times around the, And the walls of Jericho fell down. 
But before they fell down, he said to them, be careful now. When you get to the plunder and you get to the accursed stuff, the stuff that you find inside the walls, don't touch it. Don't you touch it. Because you'll become trouble if you touch it. It's a test for their hearts. So Israel defeated Jericho. Little town called Ai sitting up on a hill. There's only a few thousand people living in Ai. It should have been the breeze. So it's sort of like just walking down the street. You should be able to take that one as you're walking. You go to this massive walled city, two walls in it, and God delivers it into their hands. And then the next day, they're heading up the road and they go to Ai. So Joshua says, how, how many people do we want to send up to Ai, up to the, the little town at the top there to overcome the town? Uh, you know, there says the cat, well, about 3,000 will do. We won't need any more than 3,000. Well, there's 2 million people there. He said, just 3,000, give me 3,000 men, we'll just go up there and fix it up. Off they go, 3,000 men. Well, when they get to Ai, this little town comes out and attacks them and kills 36 of their men straight up and turns those Israelites on their heels and they run away because they've been beaten by this little town. Oh, well, Joshua's like, what? What happened? What happened? How is it that we just defeated a walled city and now we go to a town on the side with a handful of men and we are defeated. 3,000 of our fighting men are defeated in one blow. You know what? He gets on his face and says, God, tell me what happened. And God does. Remember in Joshua chapter 6, we read these words. Now the city was doomed by the Lord to destruction. That's in Jericho. And it all... And, and, Sorry, it, and all those who were in it, only Rahab the harlot um, shall live, he said. Uh, she, will be, and she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers. They said, so they said, you've you got to keep Rahab alive because she helped them get into the place. And then he says these words in verse 7. He says, and, and you by all means abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed. When you take the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse, and trouble it. So God had told them, don't touch the plunder. Before they'd actually gone in there, don't touch the stuff. He said, he says, the silver and the gold and the vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. This is the first time we're going into, in this city, we, we know in other places, the children of Israel were allowed to take the plunder, but this is the first one and they were told not to take it. They were to bring everything they caught from the city and they'd bring it to the, the priest and that was going to be part of the, the temple. It was God's, don't touch it. Well, when Joshua asked what happened, when they told that Ai should have been easily defeated and, and it wasn't, he went to God and he said, uh, God says to them, for they have taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived and they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies but turned their backs before their enemies because they had become doomed to destruction. Now, what changed the blessing to a curse? An unchanged heart. Joshua says, who's done this? 
I figured that all of the people of Israel had listened to what was said and they had cleaned their hearts and they had changed their minds and they, had, they, didn't, have e- they didn't have Egypt in their hearts. They didn't have the things of Egypt in their hearts. They, had, they just wanted to go for God. And all of a sudden, somebody has done this thing. So back then they had uh, Urim and Thurim. It's like a, almost like dice. They tried up and said, God, tell us the answer, yes or no. Who has done that? Are you going to tell us? Throws it up. God says, yes, I'm going to tell you. All right, so he goes, we've got 12 sons, which is 12 tribes. Is it Benjamin's tribe? Nope, not Benjamin's tribe. Is it uh, Levi's tribe? Nope, not Levi's tribe. And they go through all the tribes until they come to, I think it was the tribe of Judah. Well, now there's so many families in the tribe of Judah. Which family is it? Is this one? Nope, 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 nope. It's Achon. So now they have the first, God's told them that there's a certain man called Achan. And Achan is the one that's caused the problem. So they go and get, fetch Achan, go and get him. And they pull Achan in and they say, now you tell us what you did. So Achan's standing there and this is what he says. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, that's 2.3 kilos of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, that's 575 grams of gold, I coveted them, and we're told in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet. He says, I coveted them. So I took them, and there, and they... There they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver underneath them. Now, let's do a bit of a sum tally. He went in there in the battle time. The walls had fallen. He's gone in there. He's probably burst into some place. He's opened somewhere. And there's this beautiful garment. Fancy fashion. He said, that that would look really hot on the missus. But she's been complaining to me about not having nice clothes. She's been walking through the desert for so long. She wants some nice gear, you know. Look at this one. Look at this piece here. I'll take that for my missus. So he takes it. Ah, look, gold. 57, 575 shekels. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That will do for the kids' schooling. We'll go do that, you know. And uh, some silver. Oh, two and a half kilos of silver. 2.3 kilos of silver. How much is all that worth? Well, if you take it on the current price of gold today and silver today, it's about $30,000. 30 grand. He sold his soul for 30 grand. He coveted. What's the covetousness? It's the old way, not the new way. He was told to change his heart, to circumcise his heart. He was told to put it off. And yet he allowed it to live. And so that when he went into the place and he saw those things, rather than get rid of it, he says, I'm going to have it. And he thought that he could deceive God. And he thought he could deceive his brothers and sisters. And he went and he buried it in the bottom of his tent and said, you know, no one will ever know. Later on, I'll just bring it out and I'll just start working with it. He thought he could get away with it because no one could see what he was doing. 
He thought he could keep a secret on the inside. He thought he could have a hidden thing on the inside. He thought he didn't have to change his heart. God wouldn't know. He could pull this one over God's eyes and he could do what he wanted to do and it wouldn't matter. He thought he would get away with it. And guess what? God stopped the whole thing. He says, no, not even one person is going to stop this. He says, you're going to have to feed it AI because this one person. Whoa. And now they've found him. He's made his confession. And they say to him, take him. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, just just me. Just deal with me. No, 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 no. When you got a hidden thing, that hidden thing communicates. And now we have to take your wife as well. Because you're both going to get punished. Oh, yeah, just take us both. No, 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 no. We haven't finished yet. We're going to take your kids as well, your sons and your daughters. Oh, come on, not the whole family. The whole family. No, no, no. We're not finished yet. You have brought shame upon God. You didn't deal with this thing. We're going to take your livestock and your cattle and your donkeys and everything. And we take them all down to this valley and we stone them all to death. Everybody dies from the family. Oh, that's brutal. Why? Coming into a new land with an old heart. Just don't mix. Coming into a new place in God. Thinking you can take your old life with you, doesn't mix. God's judgment will fall on you like that. Come into church and think I can play church, but inside live with the devil. Play church and walk with the devil on Monday. Play with the devil on Tuesday. Play the things that are wrong on Wednesday and Thursday. And then come back to church on Sunday and think no one will ever know. God knows, God sees and God judges. Ooh. I haven't seen anybody drop dead lately. I don't think we're where we should be. I think as a fellowship we suffer because we don't change our hearts. I think we are having defeat in our lives and in our fellowship when people's hearts are not changed. If we would all change our hearts and all focus on God and all go God's way, we would have victory after victory after victory. God would bless us. But it's this unchanged heart that brings problems to us. A changed heart means to follow obediently from the heart. Follow God from the heart. It means don't lie to God when he deals with the hidden stuff. We do that, don't we? When we prayed, what's your cry for help? Did you say, I have a problem, this is my problem, I suffer with pornography addiction, oh that's a hidden one. Did you say, I have a problem, I covet my neighbor's house and his wife, no that's a hidden one. So when you came to the fellowship and said, let's cry to the Lord, let's ask God's blessing on our lives, let's ask him, let's wait patiently for it. You didn't bring the hidden thing to God because you don't want to be seen. You want to hide it and you think God's blessing can rest on us when we hide the hidden thing on the inside. What are you hiding inside? What am I hiding inside? God's spirit is here with us. You can't hide things from God's spirit. 
You know, if you go to the New Testament, you get the same thing reflected in the Old Testament, next chapter 5. Remember, we've got this beautiful little church that Jesus has died, he, he's risen again, he's told them to go and wait in Jerusalem, he's going to make them into a little city, you know, a little, little, little new people, you know. So they've all gone to Jerusalem, they've all gone there, and they're all praying and waiting, and then they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they're empowered by the Holy Spirit, they're just made to be dynamos, and then the church explodes to 3,000 just in one day. Boom! They've got a church of 3,000 happening. Wow, well, it's really happening, and people are really giving, and people are really loving, and God is doing miracles. There's blessings all over the place. You know, people are so caught up with it, they're taking, I said, I've got two blocks of land, you know. I'm going to sell one block of land, I'm going to give the money to the Lord so he can look after the people who've got no money people who've got no land that's really great and people are doing this Barnabas sells land there's other people selling land and they're bringing the money into the church and the church is like a beautiful little welfare center it's helping all the people that are in need it's really doing something significant and this is a guy called Ananias well he wants to get on that little trap you know I got a block of land you know I can sell that you know but I want it to see that I'm giving it all but you know are coveting some of the money. I want to give it all. I'm only going to give a part of it. But I'm going to tell them I'm giving it all. There's the deceit. He could have given just part of it and said, this is only 80% of what I sold. I'm just keeping 20%. That's fine. That was his. He could do that. No, but he had deceit in his heart. He said, I'm going to give 80%. I'm going to tell it's 100%. And you know what? He sat with his wife and he talked with his wife about it. And he contrived with his wife to do that evil thing. And he said, no one will ever know. It's a hidden thing. It's the old heart in a new church. It's the old ways in a new kingdom. It's the old manner when God wants holiness, it's unholiness, but it's covered with a white coat so you can't tell. So he comes into church by himself and he stands up before Peter. He's forgotten that God lives there with them. He's forgotten that God sees all things. He's forgotten that God knows his heart. He's forgotten that God is in the midst of them. He's forgotten it completely. And he stands before Peter and he says, I can pull the wool over your eyes, Peter. He says, here's this land, the money for this land. Peter, the Holy Spirit says, he's lying to you. It's not all of it. He says, tell me. Is that the full sum for the land? Yes, yes, Peter, it's the full amount. Lie, lie, pants on fire. Immediately he drops dead. Bang, God strikes him dead. Boom. Like God doesn't change. His view is the same in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. He does not like hidden stuff and he doesn't like lies. Strikes him down dead. He drops dead. Oh, dear. Health and safety. What would we do about that? Dear me. Uh, guys, come and take him away. They roll him up. Back then they didn't have a health and safety office. They didn't have to report it to the police. They just roll him up and they put him in the ground. Buried him in the ground. His wife, he comes in some time later. Doesn't know what's happened to Ananias. Comes in. <laughs> And Peter says, hey, 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 honey, come here. This is the grace of God, okay? This is the grace of God. He gives her a chance. He says, how much did you get for the land? Was it such and such? Is that the full price? She had an opportunity to change her heart. They say, I'm going to tell the truth now. She had an opportunity to confess her sin. 
to come before God and say, change me, Lord Jesus. I've been part of a deception. But no. Daddy had trained her well. Mummy was in agreement with Daddy, so the whole family now is cursed. She says to Peter, Yes, that's the same amount of money that we got for the land. And Peter says, The feet that carried your husband's body out are now here to carry yours out. Down she went. This is the first time in the church that we see something like sin creeping in. I mean, if God did that every time sin crept into the church, we wouldn't be around today, I don't suppose. Because I walked in the church, I would have been gone. So there's grace here. But listen, this is the first one. So God is making a point here. Do you get the point? The point is the hidden stuff doesn't work with God and God knows the hidden stuff. The hidden stuff doesn't work in church. God knows the hidden stuff. The hidden stuff will not only cause the church to fail, it will cause you to fail, it will cause your family to fail. You cannot keep on doing the hidden stuff that you think you can get away with and expect your kids to, to grow up and love God. Your life and your persuasion will have an effect on your whole family. It will have an effect on the church. God will deal with that. And if he doesn't deal with it in this lifetime and he gives you a chance to repent in this lifetime, he will deal with it in the next. And you will stand before God in the next and give an account for your life. It's serious stuff. The hidden stuff. The hidden stuff. Israel was defeated and Achan's whole family paid for his sin. And Ananias affected Sapphira. And she died along with him. And Galatians chapter 5, 9 tells us this. He says, a little yeast works through the whole batch. Now, Amy bought us a, bun a, a loaf of bread yesterday. She said that she was making two loaves. And she made two. She made it all, but she hasn't got a bread maker. The bread maker does it for you, you know. She does it by herself. She's good. So she made this thing and she poured yeast in it. Leaven is yeast. And she says, and you have to wet it, don't you? And keep it warm. And then as it is kept warm, and the bread, the yeast works through the whole lump until it's all filled with bubbles and it becomes a loaf of bread. And then you bake it. Paul uses that analogy as a picture of the hidden sin in your life. He says, you think that it's not going to, it's just this, uh, you know what? God, you can have this part, you can have this part, you can have this part, and you can have this part. That's 95% of me you can have. But this 5% of me, this little 5% of me, that part's mine. I'm not ready to give and forgive yet. I'm not ready to forgive those who hurt me. I'm not ready to forgive yet. I'm just going to hold that part. You can't have that part. You can have 95%, but you can't have that part. Oh no, God, I'll do everything you want me to do, but you know, I have this little pet thing that I like doing when no one is watching. I like doing that when no one can see. That's my little thing, and I want to keep that for myself. You can't have that thing. And Jesus says to you, that little thing is like yeast. You leave it there, and it will go through the whole lump, and the whole lump will be deceived. One of the greatest accusations against the church today is hypocrisy. Yeah, hypocrisy. 
Christians who say they are Christians who live like they are not. Christians who say, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer. Oh, yes, I love Jesus, glory to God. On Sunday, two days, two minutes after they leave church, they're doing something that the, the, the world does. They're doing something that the devil does. And they've, oh, they've gone to, yeah, they have a little bucket. Remember the little bucket? They go to church, they say, I've got a bucket full of sin, God. They empty the bucket out. And they, oh, I've got a nice clean. And they go away and they fill their bucket for the rest of the week with all the things that they shouldn't do again. Rather than live right, they just hold this bucket and say, Jesus will forgive me. Don't change their heart. Don't change their behavior. Don't change what they're doing. They just keep the bucket there and ask God to keep on forgiving them for all the stuff that they put in. It's time to get rid of the bucket. It's time to get rid of the sin. It's time to change your heart. If they say, come and sin with us, say, no. Everybody say, no. No. Oh, come on. Let me hear you say, no. No to sin, no to evil, no to drink if it's going to make me drunk, no to drugs if it's going to defect me, no to dancing with the ladies, no to playing with pornography, no, 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 no. Why? Because it'll kill me. Nothing of the flesh. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to talk with Jesus. I want to fellowship with Jesus. I want to live with Jesus. I don't want to have the old. I want the new. I want the blessing of the new. Do you want the blessing of the new? Do you want that? How much do you want that? How much do you want the blessing of the new? Struggle with God now. Let him touch you. Wrestle with him until he touches you and says, I'll bless you. I'll call you some. But you'll walk with a limp. You know what the limp is? I can't do it my own. I need Jesus to help me. I can't do it by myself. I need Jesus to help me every day. I can't do it by myself. I need Jesus to help me each and every day. Help me to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. The grace of God has appeared to us. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion. And yes to the godly and rightly way. God's grace is here to help us to say His grace is here to help you to say no. Deal with the heart. Change your heart. This is what Paul said in Galatians chapter 6. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I like that. The world has been crucified to me. That means don't bring me things of the world and try and lure me because it's just don't. It's like, you know, do you want to see this stuff? It's all about child pornography, you know, pedophilia. What? As if I want to watch that. I'm dead to that. Who would want to, who would want to go there? It's crucified to me. Oh, you want to have a nice flash car and a nice flash house and lots and lots of money? You know, it's easy. Just divorce him and marry him. It can all be yours. As though you would even be tempted. You are dead to the temptation. I am dead to the world, says Peter. The world's got nothing there. I'm not looking at the world. I'm not, not wanting anything of the world. The world is dead to me. And I'm dead to it. It's dead to me. I've crucified it on the inside. The world is dead to me and I to it. There's just no connection anymore. You know why there's no connection anymore? Because I love God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, 
with all of my mind, with all of my strength. I love God. There's no room for loving anything else. I love God. You call me silly, I don't care. I love God. You call me a Bible basher, it doesn't matter. I love God. You call me whatever you like, it doesn't matter. I love Jesus. He's my man. He's my man and I love him more than anything. And you know what? If I love him most of all, there's no room for anything else. I don't love money. I don't love girls. I don't love pride. I love Jesus. Jesus is the center. It's the center. Folks, listen to me. We've got to change our hearts. God has a plan for us. He says, we're his workmanship created unto good works. That is prepared beforehand. He says, You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special people. You believe that? Yeah. I believe that. So listen. David, King David, did some really silly things. And one of the silly things he did is he looked at another woman called Bathsheba. He covered her after her, he murdered her husband and had sex with her and then took him to be his wife. That's a bad one. And Nathan the prophet comes to him and says, man, you're going to fry. You're going to fry. This is what you've done. He thought he had a hidden thing that no one would see. He actually got his Uriah, the, the husband, killed on the battle line so he could sneak into Bathsheba's life without even being caught. He thought he could keep a hidden thing hidden. And guess what? The prophet spoke. God spoke to the prophet Nathan and said, Nathan, you go and tell him what he's done. So Nathan goes and tells David what he's done. And David could have gone, oh, shut up and kill Nathan. But he didn't. You know what he did? He changed his heart. It doesn't matter how big the problem is. It doesn't matter how bad the sin is. Listen, God is gracious and forgiving. Change your heart. At the moment when you're exposed, change your heart. When you see God speaking to your life and he's touching something on the inside, change your heart. Don't become proud and defiant and start to fight God. Stop. Do what David did. Listen to what he said. Behold, you desire truth on the inward parts. And in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop that I may be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness. That's the, bo- the bones that you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. He's coming to God and saying, forgive me. You've discovered me. You've found my hidden part, my sinful part. I'm coming to you, create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. And do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. This is David's response when God reveals his hidden heart. You don't have to die in your sin. Think about that. Oh, it's dangerous. Fooling with God. Hiding something on the inside and thinking you can get away with it. The Holy Spirit today says to you, he knows. He knows exactly where you are. He knows what you did this week. He saw it. He was there with you when you did it. He sees your thoughts. He sees the incline of your heart. He knows your hiddenness. I don't know it. The people around you don't know it. But God knows it. Now listen to me, friends. I'm not here to strike you dead. I'm here to point you to Jesus like David was pointed to Jesus. It's time to say, you know what, God? I've done with fooling with the hidden stuff. I've seen from today's lesson that you don't abide with the hidden stuff. You want me to have a heart that's fully committed to you and I want to give you my fully committed heart. 
I want to do it today. I want you to stand to your feet, please. I am not going to ask you to make any bold confessions of what you've been doing. I don't need to know. I've got my own list. But I want you to come to God who sees all things and knows all things. And I want you to pray a prayer that is real and genuine from your heart. That you've had enough of the hidden life. You've had enough of the hidden things. And it's time to turn your heart toward Jesus and say, Oh, Jesus, take the hidden things and give me a clean heart to start a new walk. I need a clean heart to possess a new land.